This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing two spells. With Embrace the Black Cube, we talk about Monty Cook's eighth design diary about emergent stories. And then with the Vizlai Tourist Bureau, we offer advice for those attending Gen Con. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. With Embrace the Black Cube, we discuss the occasional design diary blog posts about the Invisible Sun RPG. In this segment, we discuss the eighth design diary about emergent story. I guess I'm going to start off in the way that I did with the last one, and I'm going to talk about how other games have done player roles versus GM roles, because that really feels like what emergent story is all about to me. Uh, so if you take a look at uh, your classic traditional RPGs, you're going to have player characters who are going on adventures, and they're going to go to a place, and they're going to do things because that was the quest they were tasked with. So you might have D&D characters delving into the Temple of Elemental Evil. Uh, you might have characters in the Ninth World tasked with going out and retrieving the Blackbone Bride. But basically you have characters who are react, reacting to situations and stories that the GM uh, is coming up with and presenting to the players themselves. There are other games out there that uh, they, they move the responsibility of pushing that story forward into the player's hands. Uh, and those games are out there, um, and we'll talk about them a little bit, and we definitely will this time. I, I know I didn't talk about other games last time because I was thinking about this stuff, but uh, we'll get into it later. Um, so the design of Invisible Sun is aiming to put the control of the direction of the plot and the game more into the player's hands and you know offload a whole lot of that uh, story responsibility from the GM and, you know, just give it to the players and say to them, where do you want your characters to go? What do you want your characters to do? You know, what are your motivations? So instead of the GM uh, always coming up with an idea for where are the characters going to go next, you know, what are they going to interact with? Instead, the character is going to say uh, more proactively, hey, here are the things that our characters are interested in, and this is what we want to do. So the way that the design is set up to handle this, uh, Monty talks about uh, character arcs that you're going to be choosing during uh, character creation, and those character arcs are going to drive play. So, Scott, have you ever had a character in uh, one of the other games that you've played that has had motivations? I think it's fair to say they've had motivations, but <laughs> uh, especially early on in my gaming career back in high school and, and even earlier than that, those motivations were like were, were often very thin. Yeah, thin, I think, is a good way to describe most of the motivations that my characters tend to have. It's usually, hey, we got hired to do this job, we're going to do this job, and that's my motivation. 
so here we're going to have character arcs that we're going to be selecting during character creation. Uh, and you can get more character arcs as the game goes on. So your character is going to evolve and change as you pursue the conclusion for these arcs that you're going to be picking up. And it's those character arcs that are really going to push you as the player to, I guess, kind of tell the GM and the other players, like, hey, this is what I'm interested in doing. This is what my character is trying to accomplish. And there were some examples of uh, some of the story arcs that we might see come out of this. Uh, things like defeating an old enemy, uh, discovering something lost, building something new, or learning about something. So the GM, instead of coming up with the seed for all of these stories, the GM is going to be reacting to what the players are, you know, telling them what they want to do. And that's, that's a pretty big shift in the role for a GM, uh, especially if you're coming from, you know, more traditional uh, gaming backgrounds. Uh, if you've played other indie games, I can't really think of any super like big games that uh, are trying to do this off the top of my head. But if you're if you've played other indie games, this might be a little more comfortable for you. Um, the closest example I can think of in a more traditional game might be something like the one unique thing in Thirteenth Age. Often those one unique things imply stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, that so players by choosing their one unique thing that they that defines their character, uh, they are staking a claim as to a story they want to participate in. Within in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, there are you know, declarations of of uh, bonds and ideals, which give also kind of hints of the types of stories that players want to play in. Uh, but these are concessions in traditional games towards this new player agency approach that's that is much more common in in indie games if that if that category really means much and and it's a lot of little things here and there that Mm -hmm. are showing up but this this reads as something that's a lot more monumental Uh, monumental seems a little bit big but ambitious let's go with ambitious um it seems a bit more ambitious in in its design in that it seems like it's taking inspiration from a whole bunch of uh, other games where players have a lot more control and agency over where the story's going to go. And some of the other games, like 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, while they have these bonds and ideals, they're also completely ignorable. Yeah. So Whereas this, uh, it's going to be an important part of everyone's character will be their character arc. And so it's going to be difficult to ignore what the players have chosen as their intended or at their aspired to activities and goals for the game. Yeah, there's there's going to be a lot more here uh, just about the stories that are going to be coming from the players instead of just the GM. And this, this seems like a... Okay, so I was saying before that it seems like a big shift for, you know, a more traditional GM, which is, you know, that's my background. I'm a, I'm a fairly traditional GM. I'm used to coming up with, you know, where are where's the session going to go tonight? What do my players want to do? You know, I keep in mind the things that they have been interested in, but generally I'm planning out, you know, you know, a few major plot points that I think we need to hit and you know, going from there and seeing what they do and then reacting behind the scenes in between sessions afterwards. But this feels like you're going to have to be a little bit more reactive and on your feet in the session itself. 
there were rules that uh, Monty says are in the book to guide you as a GM and as a player to, you know, work together to come up with how to resolve these story beats and how you can build off of what the players are giving you and, you know, give it back to them and, you know, put more of this control in their hands. So I've been trying to figure about figure out how to become more reactive as a GM. And this is something that I've been working on for a few months now at this point. And I guess when it comes to Invisible Sun, like there's still going to be a lot of preparation that you need to do. Like you need to know who your characters are, what their character arcs are. Uh, you know, you need to figure out like what's going to keep them interested. Who might they be interacting with? in their stories maybe coming up with a list of npcs that you kind of keep in your back pocket so you can just pull out uh, when you need them that might be something handy to put together you're also going to need to be pretty familiar with the setting and uh, the creatures and people that might be within it so you, you might start out just by getting really familiar with Saturn and understanding what you can find in different parts of the city, what might be in the wastes that uh, split the city up itself, uh, and then expand out to what the other suns are going to be like. You know, that sort of familiarity is going to lend a lot more, it's going to give you a whole lot more resources to draw upon when you have to come up with something on the fly to give to your players. And this is going to be a, a challenge both for the GM and for the players. Uh, I've noticed in uh, my playtests that their players coming from a more traditional background will themselves sometimes not quite be used to the responsibility that the players have to mm -hmm. uh, move their own character arcs forward and to bring story arcs together uh, to move the game forward. Uh, a few sessions ago, we had sort of a low energy session and so um, rather than relying as much as I like to on emergent ideas from players, I really had, as a GM, had to sort of push the story forward uh, mm -hmm. because when no one else was doing so, someone had to do it. <laughs> and then it ultimately falls back on the GM. Uh, but uh, and some of this is is in some, a, a, a strange kind of shyness from players not wanting to impose their story, uh, whereas we tend to accept that from GMs. Uh, it's going to take, I think, an adjustment period for a lot of players and GMs to figure out where the balance is for your particular group on player agency and authority uh, and how to lean on players and lean on the GM at different times so that together you create a campaign rather than just uh, a GM showing up saying, I, now, I have a dungeon with 50 rooms in it. Would you like to turn left or turn right? And there's player agency there. They can choose left or they can choose right, but they don't choose what's in those rooms. And whereas in this game, there's a lot more uh, authorial responsibility to the to the players to say, oh, well, um, I think we, we wanted, you know, the, the, our stories are coming together such that we need to go explore this cave. What's in this cave? We'll talk, here's some things that are in this cave. And the GM can manipulate that a little bit and play within those parameters to provide an interesting story. But it's, it's going to be an adjustment for the players and for the GM. Yeah, and I think uh, there might be more discussion here that we can have about, like, how, how do you, I guess, retrain yourself as a player to take more of that control and run with it? Like, how do you break out of the, the traditional mindset? that a lot of players are going to have coming from RPGs. In addition to, you know, GMs getting into that same sort of mindset. So one of the things that I've been doing is I've been trying to run games that 
I guess, kind of break me out of that mindset. There's there's one that we like to default to whenever we have to pull out a one shot, uh, you know, scheduling and you know, life getting in the way. Uh, we like to pull out Fiasco, which is a really good collaborative storytelling game uh, where everybody, there, there's no GM there, everybody's a player, and you all participate in building the story and telling this story of based, you, it's it's inspired by uh, Coen Brother movies and things like that where there's, there's a great plan uh, that's actually a terrible plan and everything goes badly in the end. But that's a good one to put people in the in the mode where everybody's creating and contributing. Another system that I find really helpful for getting the GM and the players to sort of change their roles a little bit is pretty much any game that runs on an Apocalypse World. Uh, so the Apocalypse Engine, those games are really good at handing control over to the players and saying, you get to make the decisions here, and then the GM is just going to react to that and give you a situation based on the decisions that you're making instead of, you know, the other way around, which is how it usually is. Fate is another pretty good one. Uh, I'm not as familiar with Fate, but uh, my brief experience with it is it felt like players were encouraged to interact with the world and come up with details for the world that the GM hadn't necessarily thought of and add those in and use them. And then the last one I wanted to mention here is the Fantasy Flight Star Wars system, which they've now made into a generic system. Um, but the dice mechanic there, I feel like if you if you look at it as just sort of a creative inspiration, like when you roll those dice, sometimes you succeed, but there are complications. That sort of stuff I find uh, really pushes you to be more creative than you know, what you might be used to with a, with a normal RPG game. Those are some of the games that I've been messing around with and, you know, focusing on to, you know, try and break out of this more traditional mindset that, you know, I myself am in. Yeah, both Fate and the Fantasy Flight Star Wars games have a, a concrete mechanic that helps, I think, players as an on-ramp to this sort of authorial responsibility. Uh, because in Fate, you have mm -hmm. Fate Points, and one of the things you can use fate points for is to declare something about the setting. And that might be, oh, uh, it so happens that there is a chair uh, in this bar that I can grab and hit someone over the head with. You know, so you just kind of instead of saying it's on my it's on my character sheet, uh, it's you can use the fate point to just declare that it's there if it's plausibly within that setting. There's something similar with fa Fantasy Flight Star Wars uh, with uh, a, a system where you could sort of there's a resource that you can expend uh, in order to declare some aspect of the environment. And this is a simple way to empower players and then also sort of validate and, and make those players comfortable with uh, just declaring parts of, of the game and, and parts of the environment. I know, that, you know, back when I was playing in the 80s that often it was people would say well the you know the players have control over player actions but literally everything else the creatures the environment the npcs everything else is is the gms to play with uh but this is moving more towards maybe you know not explicitly where player characters are going to be running their own npcs uh or running their own combat encounters with themselves or things like that but there's a lot more of the setting is uh, kind of uh, shapeable by what the players want to do, not because of player abilities, but because mm -hmm. of the features of the game itself. 
So I want to provide one example from a game this week in, uh, uh, in our playtest that I think kind of illustrates some of these concepts well. The the party had run across, had, had found this magical mist, and they wanted to characterize this mist, find out either where it came from, what effects it had, that sort of stuff. In D&D, this would be, they're trying to cast detect magic on the mist to find out what type of magic it is. But it's not D&D, so we want to do something cool and Invisible Sun sort of surreal uh, with this particular part of the story. So we said, well, instead of just casting a spell, let's say that there's a, we need to take it to a laboratory. And uh, But we didn't have a maker, so I was like, okay, as the GM, I was like, well, we don't really have a maker. Do, do any of you know, do any of you have a, a contact or an idea of where you would take something if you needed a, a, a magical lab to analyze a sample? And one of the players says, oh, well, in my background, uh, I'd already established that my mother was a maker. Like, oh, so in in her house then, she had, we said she had her mother's maker laboratory. And that wasn't on her character sheet. That's not like an inventory item that she'd spent points on or money on or anything along those lines. It was just like, oh, well, this is kind of, it ties into the characters. We just declared it to, to exist. And then when we got there, uh, I, I know that one of the players is uh, experienced with air toxicology. She's actually a, a, a PhD who studies like air toxicology, exposures mm-hmm. to air pollution, that sort of stuff. It's like, you know, you know this stuff. So tell me what a magical uh, machine would be like that could characterize a mist. Uh, and so you know, basically, what would a surreal verse magically surreal version of the actual equipment be like and so we talked about what a gas chromatograph would be like uh for a magical surreal setting and had a lot of fun designing what that system what that would look like and again this was not a a, an ability the the character had this was not a a inventory item this was just something that emerged from in the first case part of character creation in the second, it emerged from a competency that that particular play- player had and the expertise she had to bring a particular scene to life. But you know, it's, it took some coaxing, but each of these players then were able to really invest in the scenes and bring the scenes to life because they were defining the scenes. I just sort of kind of helped prod them into feeling comfortable doing so. But the result was a shared experience rather than... Um, players reacting to something the GM tells them. This was us co-creating uh, a series of, of scenes that I, I thought worked remarkably well uh, and, and illustrate the sort of um, the goals of these emergent stories rather than um, pulling open your book of 100 rooms in your dungeon that you're running people through, which can be fun in its own way, but that's not what this game's going for. In the Vizlai Tourist Bureau, we are going to provide some general advice for visiting Gen Con. This is probably the only casting of this particular spell, but given the importance of Gen Con to Monty Cook Games, it seemed worth discussing. This was an idea raised in a previous episode, since we were talking about some of the events that are going to be Invisible Sun or Monty Cook Games related coming up at Gen Con. I thought it might be worth talking about some advice for those who are, who are lucky enough to attend and provide a little more detail on the sorts of activities going on at Gen Con. Let's start with some of the basics. So, Dave, you, you started with maybe the most basic of advice for Gen Con, but also the uh, easiest to neglect. What's your rule number one? 
Rule number one, drink water. Make sure you are drinking water and also make sure you're eating food. For me, I, I have a, uh, a thermos that I bring along and I make sure I fill that up uh, whenever I can at the drinking fountains that are around the uh, convention center. And when it comes to food, I tend not to like sit down for more than, you know, breakfast and dinner. Uh, but there's a good 12 hours in between those two on most days. Uh, so I actually pack like cliff bars or something, uh, just something that, you know, I can, you know, get some calories in there and make sure I'm not running on empty. And like, those are the two of the most important things for me. Um, we didn't write this down, but sleep is also very important. Uh, you can neglect sleep, uh, as much as you like, but make sure you get some. Yeah. You, you know, yourself and your capabilities more than anyone else. So you have to interpret the advice accordingly uh, about, about sleep. I, I know everyone's human body enough to say you need water. Mm -hmm. uh, but for sleep, some people can operate with less and some people need more of it. But I would just say be very careful uh, and don't push yourself. And remember that if you err on the side of sleeping too little, not only will you have slept too little, uh, not only will it affect your health, it's also going to affect your enjoyment of the convention. So make sure you are sleeping enough to enjoy yourself. Uh, and that means taking time to take care of your, your physical needs. Uh, I like, like you, I always have a water bottle with me. Um, I prefer not to try to rely on finding plastic bottles for both sort of waste and trash sort of concerns, mm -hmm. but also just availability concerns of, you know, waiting in line to get bottled water or whatever. Uh, and I also have energy bars. I found myself, again, this is kind of know yourself, um, I'm fine uh, if I have an energy bar for breakfast and for lunch and then have a big dinner. That's just, I've learned that's something I can do. Not everyone can do that. Other mm -hmm. people need a big breakfast and maybe they, you know, they space those out differently, but definitely try to make, you know, make sure you're, you are eating. Uh, and energy bars are a, a nice uh, way to make sure you're getting some protein, though they're often barely better than a candy bar. Uh, <laughs> but at least you're getting something. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, and that's, what's important. Uh, Cause again, if you, if you don't eat, uh, you will, because your, your immune system will be suppressed and there's a lot of people and many of them may be carrying things that'll make you sick. Uh, also, uh, you, you other things, you headaches, things like that, that can result if you just don't eat right or oh, don't yeah. drink enough water. So not, it may seem tedious in the short term. Like, why am I worrying about this stuff? I want to go play a game or I want to go to the seminar or, or whatever. Uh, but do take care of yourself or you will not be able to enjoy the experience as much as you could. Uh, going along with the uh, sleep, uh, I rely on coffee, um, especially towards the later days of the uh, of the con. But um, I wouldn't rely on coffee if you're planning on getting it from like Starbucks or the the food court that's in the convention center, because the lines for that stuff can get really long. Uh, so if you have a hotel uh, that serves breakfast, get your coffee there. Uh, <laughs> or if you have, you know. 20, 30 minutes set aside to stand in line for, you know, coffee and snacks. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's funny. The line, there's, you know, people will talk about the lines for lunch and lines for meals, but the lines for Starbucks are typically the longest. Yeah, yeah. I, I stood in line at Starbucks uh, a bit too long the first Gen Con I was there. Uh, and then I just relied on, you know, having a couple cups of coffee in the morning with breakfast. Uh, and that segues nicely into our second point. Uh, you know, don't overbook yourself. The in, the temptation with Gen Con is that uh, it's to schedule every moment of your day. Uh, and 
uh, because there's some people have described Gen Con as like four conventions happening at one time. There's sort of a seminar gaming convention. There's a, a, a fiction author convention. There's a board game convention. There's a Magic the Gathering convention. There's an anime convention. There's an RPG convention. And it's all happening at the same time. So the, mm-hmm. you, people want to sign up for everything in all the different time slots because there's so much interesting stuff going on. But I caution you not to do that. <laughs> Leave gaps. Uh, yes. You, you want to leave gaps because your, your brain will need time to decompress. Uh, you'll want again. You'll you'll only enjoy your experience if you're not stressed out about getting to your next experience. Uh, you'll want to go to the dealer room, and you'll probably and going to the dealer room is not a half hour experience in the most for the most part. It is uh, that's something you're going to spend hours in, uh, and you have to so leave time for this sort of of activity. Uh, and if you're playing in games all the time, uh, you you might miss out on on a lot of these of these other things. So. Pick the activities you want most. Absolutely sign up for those. Uh, but leave yourself a lot of room uh, and flexibility to change when you arrive in Indianapolis and to move one direction or another based on what you're enjoying in th- at that particular time and what opportunities become available at that particular time. And I guess uh, coinciding with schedules, uh, we're running games for Monty Cook. Uh, well, Monty Cook games. Um, so if, if you're looking for, you know, events and you still have to sign up uh i'm going to be running predation every single morning uh except sunday i don't i don't do games on sunday uh my crew tends to leave around noon which doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room um but i'll be running predation every morning at 9 a.m um thursday friday saturday and then i will be running it again on thursday at 2 p.m and I believe the Thursday at 2 p.m. still has a couple of slots open. And, and I'm running uh, The Strange on, I believe, Thursday and Friday at 4 to 8 p.m. I believe one of those, I think the Friday session, may still have some slots open. But also um, know that often, especially later in the convention, people will sometimes just not show up to their games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so generic tickets are a magical thing. Uh, grab $10 worth of, magic, of, of these magical generic tickets and if there's a game you really want to play, but you can't get a, a, a slot uh, for, just show up. Especially, like I said, late on Saturday or, or Sunday if you can. Um, a lot of people don't show up to these games. And then you can use those generic tickets to buy into those open slots. Uh, also, generic tickets are refundable. So if you buy too many, you can always get them refunded at the end. Uh, you can also use them at Games on Demand, which is another good place to pick up some games. We also have one more event, uh, which is the Invisible Sun Seminar, where we're going to be doing character creation, and that's on Saturday at 1 p.m., right? I think it's... Th- I have 3 p.m. down, but some of the schedule is unreliable at this point. The Gen Con system has been moving some things around, so I would say check the system and check for announcements from Monty Cook Games to be sure, but... We're pretty sure the Saturday session... Saturday at 3 p.m., you're right. Uh, ...of the Invisible Sun Character Creation Seminar, uh, we are going to be emceeing. So you uh, please do come by and say hello. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun time. And I believe there will be other versions of that on the other days of the con. Uh, but we will be pri- in. Uh, we'll, we'll be taking a primary role on that Saturday session. Yep. So those other sessions, you're going to have uh, other notable... MCG names like uh, I know Troy Pitchelman and Darcy Ross uh, mm-hmm. and Danny Neary and I believe John Neary are also going to be running sessions. 
That sounds correct. So some people you may know from other Monty Cook Games related podcasts uh, will be involved in these uh, activities. So what else do we have for uh, Gen Con? So I mentioned the dealer hall. Uh, I want to, uh, you know, there's, that's a big part of the experience. You know, one of the, you could say it could be an experience in and of itself. If there were no games, this would still be an interesting convention just for the dealer hall. It is immense, but it is also super packed with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, rumor has it that they are, a, that they are now about to sell out of passes to Gen Con. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um. It's not clear this has ever happened before. <laughs> I don't think it has. Uh, there, there's not been a discussion previously of Gen Con selling out, but they are now talking about the possibility of it selling out, in part because this year is the 50th anniversary. One of the implications of that will be a large chunk of those people are going to be in the dealer room at any given time, which means it's it's very crowded. This is complicated by people who will be there uh, with strollers. They'll be there with... Uh, uh, costumes. <laughs> it's it's going to be an awkward place to get around. So uh, it's the dealer hall is wonderful. I recommend you block out time to spend time there. You maybe spend some time in advance with the map that Gen Con provides, so you might be able to figure out where you want to visit most and in what order. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, don't expect to just sort of dance across the the dealer hall and run over to that that booth you want to see in five minutes. It takes time to even purposefully get across the dealer hall. So, you know, keep that in mind. But it is really a, a mind-boggling experience uh, and one that I always look forward to. Yeah, one of I think one of the things that I like about the dealer hall the most, um, I mean, it's huge. There's a ton of stuff there, and it's super busy. Uh, and, you know, some of that stuff I'm not a huge fan of. But I've run into designers and authors in the dealer hall and gotten them to sign things. Uh, so I think we might want to talk about some Gen Con etiquette here. Yes. Uh, this is very quick. I've got a blog post on this uh, that was on that was hosted by the Monty Cook Games site last year, so you might be able to dig that up. Uh, but one of the b- most important points was what I call VIP etiquette. <laughs> um Game writers and designers are going to be all over the place at Gen Con. This is sort of the big con for RPG writers in particular. Um, and by and large, they're they're quite happy to say hello. They love to hear people come up to them and, and tell them that they like the games, what they like about the games, um, and just to hear positive feedback. These are people who like to hear that the stuff that they created is making people happy. That being said, you should also be respectful of their time. Uh, these are people who probably also have places to be. Maybe they have a seminar they're, they're going to be hosting. Maybe they have a game they're running. They may be sell, you know, on selling things at their booth. You know, They may not be able to devote their entire attention to you for very long. So while I think it is a safe bet that if you see a, a designer that you want to say hello to and, and tell how much you like their game, that you should, you should do that. Uh, but if they say... Oh, I'm sorry, I can't speak right now. I need to. I'm going to be on the seminar panel, or I need to be back at my booth. Just, you know, respectfully say, well, thank you for your time, and and uh, I hope to catch up with you later at the convention, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, yeah, it is stunning sometimes. Uh, it, it's it's sometimes it's, some people are are a little more subtle or uh, easy to overlook. Uh, every year, I I can pretty much guarantee that at any given time, if I walk through the Rock, walk through the right booth. Uh, Margaret Weiss will just be sitting there waiting for people to come say hello. <laughs> uh, for D and D and Dragonlance fans, that's like stunning. The notion that 
someone so famous and so important to our hobby would not be swamped with fans at all times, but that she isn't. Every year I've been there, when I've gone by the, her booth, she's just sort of there. For, I mean, sometimes she'll be talking to people, but sometimes she'll just be sitting there. And that would be a perfectly appropriate opportunity to walk up and say hello and tell her how much you like her books, let's say. Uh, maybe get something signed. But if you do so and she says, oh, I'm sorry, I've, she's, I think she's part of the 50th anniversary panel, let's say. And I have to leave for this. Just say thank you. Uh, in, ha- enjoy your panel and then try to catch her another time. So be respectful of their needs. Uh, as well as, uh, you know, your own goals at meeting uh, these uh, VIPs. Yeah, I'm going to have to check out where uh, Margaret Weiss's booth is. I grew up with those yes. books. Absolutely. No, I, I, I'm not exaggerating. Every year I, I wander most of the dealer hall. And when I go by the Margaret Weiss Productions booth, most of the time, she's sitting there, very kind. I've met her at other conventions, too. She's very nice. Uh, and, you know, you could walk right up and buy a copy of her new books or bring your own books that you copies of you of, of your own uh, and get them signed. And she's, she's, it's, it's really nice. And that, and she's not atypical in that regard. Uh, now I will also add though, that there are some people who have designated signing times. Mm-hmm. And in those, if, if someone does have designated signing times, you may have to follow specific rules. Examples include uh, Brandon Sanderson, has there is a ticketed event to get his uh, signatures because there's so much demand he's not someone i would just sort of corner in the hall and ask him to sign stuff because there's a reason there's ticketed events and if everyone did that it would break the whole system <laughs> uh similarly uh pat rothfuss does i don't believe it's a ticketed event uh, or maybe no i think it is a ticketed event this year in past years it hasn't always been ticketed it's but there's been specific times in in many cases where like they're going to sign from this time to that time and if they have time set aside try to use those times to get s- signings don't you know wait until oh well all of the you know all all of the boring people will go during the signing times i'll just catch them this other time which is likely a less convenient time for them mm-hmm. so if there's a designated time for people to sign uh, then use those times. Uh, this is the case for the Monty Cook Games crew. There are uh, There's a schedule published, I don't have it in front of me, for when uh, Monty, Bruce, and Shauna are, are doing signings at the Monty Cook Games booth. Uh, if last year is any indication, there will be a very short line during those times. Uh, they are guaranteed to be there for you. And you can still, there'll be an opportunity to talk to them uh, to get your book signed. But Try to use those times to get things signed and don't just try to grab them randomly uh, because the reason they have those times is because they're very busy and they're doing multiple seminars and running games and running their booth. Uh, And as a result, they've kind of had to focus their signing attention to those particular times. So out of respect, when they announce times, try to use those times. Yeah. Uh, And I guess speaking of... uh times with Monty Cook Games, they've got a bunch of events in addition to, uh, you know, the the games that we've been talking about in the sessions that we're doing. Yes. And again, I have the caveat that some of these times have been moving around a little bit in the system. So uh, I would say believe what you see from, from the Monty Cook Games website and the Gen Con website, maybe the former more than the latter. Uh, so what I'm telling you is kind of what I've had of most recent information. But by the time this is posted, who knows what, how much of this is going to change. But not likely by more than an hour one way or the other. But there's some things that are may, may move around. But I'm confident these events are going to happen. <laughs> so it's worthwhile at least talking about these events. 
The big seminar is called What's New with MCG. Uh, on I think it's currently listed as Thursday from 11 to 1 p.m., 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. That's the two-hour big extravaganza where they roll out the upcoming slate for all of their games. So they'll talk about what's coming up for Numenera and The Strange and The Cypher System and No Thank You Evil and Invisible Sun. And if they've got something new outside of the confines of those games, that this is the seminar where they'll, they'll announce it. I'll also say this is a seminar where they tend to give away stuff. So, you know, last year it was t-shirts. Cool stuff. Yeah. (laughs) And Monaco Games usually does two Kickstarters a year. And there's only been one this year, correct? Yes. The strange box set. Yeah. So they they tend to do a spring and a fall one. Yeah. So this is usually where they announce what their Kickstarter is going to be. Last year was Invisible Sun. And Mm -hmm. who knows what this year is going to be? Yeah. uh, They did announce Into the uh, Ninth World, I believe. Uh, or yeah, into the ninth world. That Kickstarter was announced at the What's New seminar. So yeah, if there's a if there's a fall Kickstarter, there's the most likely place for it to be announced would be at the seminar. Though I think the Strange was announced later, but uh, most often it's announced. At, but that's the sort of thing that the big announcements come out of the the What's New seminar. Mm-hmm. But that's not the only seminar they have. Uh, there's also a seminar on designing for the Cipher system. Uh, this is currently listed uh, through the website as Thursday from 10 to 11:30 a.m. This is why I think there's probably going to be some things shifting around because I don't think they'll have two seminars running at the same time. Uh, last year, uh, this seminar was hosted by Monty, and it was just kind of general uh, uh, advice uh, and Q and A about designing and running games for this for site for the Cypress system specifically. Uh, and the third, maybe the most interesting outside the what's new seminar for our audience is the learning the secrets of the invisible sun seminar currently listed as Saturday from 10 to 11 a.m. I suspect it's going to have information about Invisible Sun. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to hit that one, but I am going to be running games. I will be there. Um, so they there are still a whole bunch of slots open for the four-hour games. Uh, and, I mean, you can sign up for Predation, Numenera, The Strange, uh, Cypher System. Uh, and then they also have demos at their booth that will be running whenever the dealer hall is open. Mm-hmm. So you can just pop in there and get a quick demo of something if you're interested in one of their one of their games or systems. Yeah, the booth demos tend to run about 20 minutes, and they let you get a, very, a taste of Numenera. Last year it was Numenera, The Strange, or The Cypher System. Uh, my guess is it's going to be the same set because it's, The Cypher System is a sci-fi game, and I think that's what it is for the four-hour slot. So you get a you get a little little sense in twenty minutes of how the system works and lets you try out the game uh, if you've not played the game before. Uh, and there will be a dim, a booth demo for Invisible Sun as well, which I believe is going to be focusing on a short introduction to character creation. Yeah, I'm not I'm not terribly clear on that one yet. Uh, and the, the, uh, MCG is not alone in this. Uh, another reason why it's fun to just wander the the uh, dealer hall is a lot of game companies actually run short demos out of their booth rather than as signed ticketed events. Mm-hmm. And so you could spend a day in the dealer hall, not just shopping, but also stopping by and playing dem- half-hour demos of various games and, and trying out different things. It's, it's just a lot of fun. It's really a highlight of my year every year. Yeah, Gen Con is uh, it's going to be really exciting this year. Um, so yeah, if you if you see me, or I'm guessing Scott, if you see either of us, say hello. I don't know. <laughs> Do we have our pictures anywhere? I guess mine's on my Twitter account. Yeah, mine isn't, but I, I suspect people can find me if they look... Yeah, 
Um, but we'll be in, you know, the Monty Cook games, uh, whatever room they end up getting. Um, so we'll, we'll be, I'll be in there most of the convention. Um, otherwise I'll be around. So keep an eye out. Absolutely. Yeah. I will probably be wearing some sort of Monty Cook, uh, or games or cipher system shirt. (laughs) So certainly when I'm running games, uh, and so that might be a way to, but if you, if you see me or I'll be at the MCG seminars, uh, and certainly the one that we are emceeing, uh, by all means, come up and say hello. I don't believe yet I have run into anybody in person who has actually listened to the podcast. So I'm one of my goals for Gen Con this year is to meet someone who's actually heard this thing. Well, there, there's a few people out there. <laughs> there's there's evidence to suggest it, though it might just be uh, you know some sort of bot that's downloading our episodes. I mean, that's entirely possible. <laughs> I've met some yeah. people online who listen, but I'm looking forward to meeting someone in 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 the meat sphere. Um, who has listened and but has not met me in person. So I can actually meet someone for the first time in person uh, who's heard the podcast. That sounds like fun to me, and I don't know why. It would be a surreal experience for me. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. And you can find me at drscottrobinson on Twitter. And you can find me at tex underscore red on Twitter. So leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We hear it helps people find the show. Uh, Or tell a friend about the show, and that would be another great way to help us out. Thanks.